0: I'm not on social media, uh, which is really amen. man, <laughs> which is a good thing these days. But if I was, I might post some pictures of things that I like to tell people about. One of the things I love to tell people about are books. I, I just am a fan of great books. And, and one of the books that we've recommended for this series is by a guy named N.T. Wright. And these were first recommended to me, this series of commentaries about you know the New Testament, were first recommended to me by intern Nick. Some of you guys might remember intern Nick. There's this young man from Bethel Seminary. They asked us to coach him for a while, and it was an honor to do so. And, and he introduced me to these great commentaries that have these great insights into Scripture. And so do we have a picture of that one we already put up there? The N.T. Wright books. We, we, I love recommending those. I, they're, they're too good to keep to ourselves. And maybe you've got a favorite author or you've got a favorite book or you've got a favorite series that you love to tell others about because it's so good. Well, here's another picture from In-N-Out Burger. Anyone ever been to In-N-Out Burger before? All right. If you've been there, how many of you have told others about In-N-Out Burger? Yeah, it's it's this fun little place. You find them out on the West Coast. They do a great job. And it's fun to tell others about it. And maybe you've got a favorite restaurant. Maybe it's a chain. Maybe it's a little mom-and-pop place or, or some place that you love to tell others about because it's such great food or such great experience. Got another picture here. This is a picture of our family on the way up to Grandview. Once a year, um, my my uh, my in-laws rent a cabin for themselves, and our family and my sis my wife's sister's family, and we all go up there. and We love the Grand View area. So much fun stuff to do at the lodge. We love going to the Chocolate Ox. We love playing uh, mini golf at the at that Pirates Cove. There's just so many great things. And maybe you've got a place, a resort or, or or some place like Grand Marais or Duluth or someplace in Wisconsin or Michigan where you love to tell others about because it has so much great stuff to it. All right, well, my youngest daughter and I, we love to fish. We love to fish. She's like, no! that's right. She gets five bucks every time I use their, um, their, in an illustration here. So we love to fish from back in the day. And one, our favorite fishing guide, one of our favorite fishing guides is our own Mark Johnson. He grew up on Lake Josephine. And one of the reasons we love to go there is because he can always find where the fish are. And so maybe you've got something like that too, that you just love, love, love to do. All right. Many of you will recognize the background from this one. Andrew, you're safe now. You're not in this picture here. Thanks. Um, this is from where? Does anyone know that Big Apple is? Pine tree, apple orchard. Uh, we love every fall we go up there. We love, um, we love going to that. It's a great family tradition. It's a great little place. And maybe you've got a family or favorite apple orchard or you've got a favorite greenhouse or you've got some place that, that you love to recommend that it's just too good to keep to yourselves. All right, a lot of you are going to recognize this picture. The next one here. State fair, come on. We love going to the state fair. And one of the things when you talk to people around the country, feel sorry for them because they don't got state fairs like like we got here. And if you've been to the state fair, maybe you have something that you love to tell others about. Maybe it's your favorite food there or favorite attraction there or something that you saw that you want to share because it's just too good to keep to yourself. All right, I just got a couple more here. One is of a race that I love to recommend to people. Um, the Twin Cities Marathon does an awesome job every October of this series of races. They've got their marathon, they've got a half marathon, they've got the 10 mile, they've got the 5K, they've got a 10K, they've got a one mile. And they have races for all abilities and ages, and they really do a great job. And we love to tell people if they're looking at doing some kind of race of, of uh, perhaps to try this one. And now some of you... <laughs> I'm sorry, Andra. Should have cleared the pictures with your first. Well, oh, no, the back one. We'll get to it. All right. So, but anyway, but maybe some of you just on that whole thing, maybe you've got a bike trail. Maybe it's not a, a race, but maybe it's a bike trail. Maybe it's a basketball tournament. Maybe it's um, a cross country ski area that you love to tell others about because it's too good to keep to yourself. And then we got our last picture here um, Disney. Who doesn't love Disney? Come on, where else are you going to get a picture with Chewbacca, right? And maybe you've got a favorite destination or a favorite travel location or a favorite theme park or something like that that you love to tell others about because it's too good to keep to yourself. No more pictures of you guys. Shoot. Better, get Better get 20 for that. Wow. All right. Well, my point here that I'm trying to make is that, again, some things are too good to keep to ourselves. And the reason that I'm making that point today is because today we're going to be talking about our mission, the mission that God's given us as individuals and as a church. And at the core of this mission is a truth that is too good to keep to ourselves. And that's what we're going to focus. Thank you. That's what we're going to focus on today. For the last seven weeks, we've been digging into the gospel of John, where an eyewitness to the life and teachings of Jesus, he reveals something about that life, all kinds of things about that life about a life that literally divided history into two. And one of the things that John heard Jesus say with his own ears, you can find in John 10.10, and that's this, that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus said, I have come that they might have life, and have what kind of life? Abundant life. Abundant life. John believed this to his core, and I believe that he made a compelling case that going through life detached from the example and teachings of Jesus, it's like going through life in darkness. And I believe he also made a compelling case that it's not just about avoiding that, it's about also that to go through life with Jesus, with his example, with his teachings. That's like having a light to our paths. And when I say John believed this to his core, I can say that with conviction, because the power players of his day couldn't shut John up. Amen. Amen. They killed his brother. They threatened his life. They threw him in prison. Didn't work. They ended up exiling to an island where he kept talking about Jesus and writing about Jesus. He could not keep silent about Jesus because the good news was too good to keep to himself. As is the case every week, we've got a lot to cover. So let's dive right in. There's a place to write this in your notes. Jesus' followers have news that is too good to keep to ourselves. When Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly, that is true in every area that matters. My girls have been watching, um, what's that show? The Greatest Showman with P.T. Barnum, right? He, he, he has a little bit of hyper- hyperbole. He would, he would exaggerate things. This is not an exaggeration. When I say that Jesus has wisdom, profound wisdom in every area that matters. For example, I've been mentioning this for the last couple of weeks, that every year what we try to do is we, we try to get feedback from you guys to say, of all the things we could talk about, what would you want us to talk about most? What scriptures do you want us to dive into? What topics do you want us to, to take on? And by far, nothing was even close. Anxiety is, was at the top of the list. People are saying, let's, let's press into that as a church. What can we do about anxiety? It, it has hit epidemic proportions in our culture. Our, our nation has never been experiencing the levels of anxiety that people are experiencing right now. So this summer, in July, we're going to talk, take this topic head on. And I am so jazzed for this series. I'm starting to do my pre-reads so that we can try to get the breakdown for how we're going to take on this huge topic. And so I'm doing my pre-reads. And one of the things that has me so jazzed is as I'm reading books like this one that, ta- that try to address anxiety from a medical and clinical standpoint, what they are saying, it, it doesn't just do this with the scriptures. It, the scriptures are foundational for This. And what's so interesting to me is here's a book that came out in 2017. And you take a scripture like the book of Philippians, 2,000 years earlier, they were proclaiming these truths. 2,000 years earlier. And here's one thing that's interesting about the book of Philippians. The author of the book of Philippians, which addresses anxiety head on, mentions Jesus every 2.5 verses. Jesus has answers. Jesus has answers to our struggles with anxiety and so much more. One of the greatest sources of anxiety among adults right now are the trends that we're seeing in young people. Along with all the pressures that we faced when we were teens regarding peer pressure, sexuality, substance abuse, media, these teens are experiencing record levels of stress and anxiety and loneliness and depression. And just this week, there was another tragic death of a Moundsview student that many people in our church knew. When Jesus walked among us, most scholars believe that his disciples, the one that he called, the people that he invested most most in, they were teenagers or on the really young end of young adult. And John was probably the youngest I'm going to be taking several weeks off this spring. Some traditions call it a sabbatical. Covenant refers to it as a ministry renewal leave. And when I get back, I'm so excited for the series that we're going to do in June because Pastor Dan and Pastor Jason, myself, we're going to team up. We're going to do a series on what the word says about how can we help the next generation. What can we do? Because what Jesus did worked. What he did worked. He was able to inspire these young people to a compelling vision that didn't just change them, it changed the world. Once again, Jesus has so much to teach us about the issues that matter most. On Tuesdays, on Tuesdays, almost every Tuesday, we gather as a staff down in the church basement and we pray for you. Our church basement, our office basement. We pray for you guys. Uh, Those connection cards, we pray for you by name, by need and as we pray for marriages that are struggling, as we pray for people who are facing health and financial issues, as we pray for those who are seeking wisdom and guidance, as we pray for those who've recently lost loved ones, there is not an issue that we pray for for which Jesus does not provide hope. Again, that is not hyperbole. That is not exaggeration. There is not an issue that we pray for for which Jesus doesn't provide hope. In a nation like ours, it is so easy to forget how good the good news is. I, I, I'm, I was just struggling for an example, and here's the best I could come up with. It's like this In our nation, we've got clean water, at least most of us, we've got access to clean water, almost an unlimited supply as an individual. We have so much clean water that we can use it to wash our cars think about that for a second in a world where some people, they walk six miles to be able to get clean water. And even that water is not clean. So now imagine this, imagine if you in your home, you had this clean water, but your neighbors didn't, they didn't have access and your friends and your family around you didn't have access to clean water. Wouldn't you want to share your clean water with them? Right? We can forget we have got this living water. And again, I don't say that as a cliche. This is truth. We've got this living water and we forget how good that good news is. That we can share. We've got the spirit living in us and guiding us and comforting us and helping us to navigate life. Are there people that need that? Yeah, we all do. When Jesus stepped into our broken world, our broken world was able to see with their own eyes that our creator cares. It's in the book of John that we find these words that have been translated into more languages than any other words in human history. For God so loved the world that he gave his only one, one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world. He loved the world. He's on a mission. He came to seek and save those who were lost. He came to redeem and restore what was broken. And again, to say Jesus is the answer to the brokenness, that sounds cliche to so many of us, but it is the truth. Every area of brokenness that I can think of, racial tension, poverty and injustice, men treating women like objects, political polarization, all of these would be alleviated if people would follow the example and teachings of Jesus. That is not true of other leaders. But of Jesus it is. If everyone followed that example, followed that teaching, all those things would be alleviated. Jesus offers practical advice in a misguided world. In him was the life that we long for most. Jesus had a perfect relationship with his heavenly father. Jesus had a moral compass that always pointed north. Jesus knew how to pray and what words to use in every situation. Jesus knew how to set priorities, how to get lasting results, how to lead, how to build healthy relationships with men and women. Jesus had peace under pressure. Jesus had the perfect blend of strength and humility. He had a clear mission, clear purpose. Through him, our guilt and shame can be removed, that we can be called true sons and daughters of God. I can't believe I got through that list without one amen. Come on. Amen. And his spirit, the spirit of Christ, is available to all of us, along with the promise that he will always be with us. He will never leave or forsake us. In fact, he'll be with us to the end of the age. Which begs this question, there's a place to write this in your notes, if following Jesus leads to life, the life we long for most, why aren't more people following him? That's a complicated question, isn't it? And there's no way we can get into all of the reasons. But this morning I want to focus on just one piece of that puzzle. The one that we want to address with this series that starts today involves aligning our sense of mission as individuals and as a church with the vision that Jesus cast. And in just a few minutes, we're going to look at how this is revealed in his prayer, This, this prayer that he prays in John 17. But before we look at that prayer, I want to show you something that struck me this week. Here it is. After 33 years... After all of Jesus' miracles, after all the teaching, after living a life of complete devotion to God, after rising from the dead, after all that Jesus did, the Bible says this in Acts 115, in those days after Jesus' death and resurrection, the company of persons was in awe. Paul 120. 120? Doesn't that strike anybody else? After the Son of God steps into the world, teaches like nobody taught before, does these miracles that you had to work really hard to deny, after three years of that, the company of persons wasn't all about 120. The fruit of Jesus' 33 years of ministry at the epicenter of the Christian movement was about how many? 120. Now, here's where my mind started to go to some interesting places. There was one shepherd for about 120 people. And that number caught my attention from a pastoral perspective because 120 is about the maximum number that one pastor, one shepherd can care for. When they study these kind of things, they start to find that about 120 plus or minus is that's how much that one person can care for. The median size of churches in the United States is about 75. If you want to grow beyond 120, you've got to do things differently. The way you do things has to change. If you really care for caring for people, you have to start creating smaller spans of care. Follow this. Jesus developed 12 disciples. One disciple for how many people? Ten. best practices for small groups about 10 people interesting that's about the upper range of adults that a small group leader can care for now this number 120 gets even more interesting at least to me jesus once told a parable about seed and soil and bearing fruit when his 12 disciples said would you explain this thing to us Jesus said that the seed was the word. In the book of John, who is the word? It's Jesus himself, right? Here's what Jesus says then, in an answer to their question about, tell us what this all means, a seed, the soil, bearing fruit. What does all this mean? Jesus says, Matthew 13:23. As for what was sown in good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, what? A hundredfold. In another 60, in another 30. Now, you can stay with me. This is really cool. What is the top end yield for a really, really, really good seed? hundredfold. By the end of his ministry, the company of persons was about 120. Jesus had set an example for the upper edge of a high yield life and bumped it up by another 20%. But Jesus did far more than that. He did far more than welcome 120 people into the kingdom of God. Each of these 120 were like a seed themselves. They were like a seed themselves with the potential to bear fruit. Jesus said, it's going to even be better... For you, if I leave, because he was going to send a helper, the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit descended on those 120 people, we're going to press into the book of Acts this fall. I can't wait for that one either. They didn't simply, when those 120 got the Holy Spirit, they didn't say, okay, we got the Holy Spirit. Now let's go find another person exactly like Jesus who can go and get another group of 120. You're not going to find another Jesus. Jesus. That's not what they discovered. When the Holy Spirit came upon them, they began to realize they were the new body of Christ. Each person embodied certain characteristics of Jesus. And when they came together, they were greater than the sum of the parts. And 120 became 3,000. Which means, as individuals, each individual had an average lower yield than Jesus. Jesus had a? Hundredfold yield. The rest had a low end of the 30 to 60, they had about a 30 fold yield. But here's the thing with their 30 fold yield, they had about 30 times more people that were welcomed into the kingdom of God. Now, today, there's an estimated 2 billion billion people who claim to be followers of Jesus. If each of us over the course of a lifetime has even a threefold, so if we have even 10% of the low end yield over a lifetime, that would be something like 40 million times more people that would be welcomed into the kingdom of God than Jesus did in his life. If I did my math right. Wow. This was Jesus' vision all along. To live out his mission through us. Before we close this morning, we're going to look at a portion of a prayer that Jesus prayed on the night of his betrayal. This prayer comes right before, in John, this prayer comes right before Jesus goes out to a garden where he's arrested. This is it. This is the last thing that happens before Jesus is arrested in the book of John. You can learn a lot from somebody by how they pray, can't you? And we're about to see insights into the heart of God in this prayer. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me please to John chapter 17. And we're first going to look at verse 18, then we're going to back up and and hit this with a running start. We don't have much time, so we're going to have to go really fast, but, but here's what it says. I also want to let you know too, if you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love for you to take one home free today. We keep a stack of them right there on the table. Please take one absolutely free as a gift to you. Here we go. John chapter 17, verse 18. These are the words of Jesus in a prayer that he's praying for his disciples and for the world. He says to God, his Father, as you sent me into the world so I have sent them into the world. That was plan A, right from the beginning. As the Father sent the Son, the Son is now sending us. N.T. Wright, one of the reasons we recommend his book all the time is because he says stuff like this The world remains the object of God's saving love, the reason that Jesus died. He was sent into it by the Father who now sends who? Us. Again, I wish we had more time to go through this whole prayer together. I want to encourage you, if you've read it before, read it again. If you've never read it before, I want to encourage you to read it it provides even more insight into just how good the good news is. Here's just a sampling. If we back up to verse 6 from chapter 17, Jesus says, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you've given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they received them, and they've come to know the truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Let's jump ahead to verse 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you had given me. I have guarded them. And not one of them had been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. A very interesting study to do sometime would be to contrast Peter and Judas. Because the word says that Satan entered into Judas, Judas went out into darkness, and he was destroyed on every level. What's interesting is to look at that difference with Peter where there was a point at which Jesus says, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you. And to look at what happened when Peter was sifted by the devil himself like wheat, why did he not end up in destruction? Because Jesus promised, if you are part of his flock, no one, not Satan himself, can snatch you from his hand. Is is the news of Jesus good news? You enter into that relationship with God and it's sincere. No one can steal you from it. It's, wow. All right, where were we? Um, Oh, back up here, the scriptures. But now Jesus says, I'm coming to you, Father, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I do not ask that you would take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. You have sent me into the world and I've sent them into the world. For their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in the truth. Again, there's so much here about a good shepherd from whom no one can be taken and important warnings that we should expect to have haters. In fact, one of the warning signs is if you've got no haters for the right reasons, That that should actually be a warning sign in the life of a believer. But here's part of the prayer that I'd love for us to really embrace this morning with the time we have left. Jesus says, I do not ask for these only. Referring to the 11 that were gathered in that room. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me Through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I'm in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus is praying for us here. He's praying for us. He prayed that we would work together as one in this mission so that the world can see with their own eyes that the life that Christ invites us to live together, it is qualitatively better. If it's not, why would you sign on? Why would you sign on? We have this opportunity to not only experience this life, but to share it with others. And we are committed as a church to be a church that steps up to that invitation. There's a place to write this in your notes. Emmanuel is committed to helping more people become more like Jesus in authentic community. Just over 10 years ago, God called us to plant a new church. He gave us a name. He blessed us with resources. He opened the doors before we knocked. And and we had a few words back in those days that were like our compass. We said, okay, we're going to go love God, love others, and follow Jesus. We didn't have an official mission statement or vision statement. We wanted to be authentic, and we just, we just we set out to do this. Not long, long after that, God gave us the phrase, experience God with us, and that became our invitation. But one of the things we've struggled with over the years is the right words for our mission. We've really struggled with that. In the first 10 years, we didn't have it. I want to spend a, send a special thanks to Jason, helping us to bring clarity to, to words that, that describe what we're about, what our mission is. And here they are, our mission is to help more people become more like Christ in authentic community. And every one of these phrases is essential. We try to be intentional about everything we do and the reason I'm speaking from this stand today is because it's got how many legs? Three. Three. If you take even one of those legs away, what happens to all my good intentions? They go falling down if you take even one away. Every one of these matters. And we're committed to every one of these things. Emmanuel won't be a manual if we only do one of the three, or even two of the three. Emmanuel won't be a manual if we only are about trying to draw more people in, if that's it. You can draw a crowd by doing a lot of things. We hung out a sign that said, free beer. We could draw a crowd. Big crowd. But we wouldn't be any closer to accomplishing our mission, Right? When Jesus could sense that the crowd was only there for free fish or because they heard something that they wanted to hear, go ahead and look in the scriptures. Look what Jesus did in those situations. He would say something or he would do something that would separate the sincere seekers from the goat herd. Also, Emmanuel's not Emmanuel if the only thing we do is help individuals with their private devotional life. Because if all you have is a private devotional life that is not authentic Christianity. If you are not in possession of a good news that is too good to keep to yourselves, that's not the real thing. You're settling for an imitation. That's not the real thing. And then the third, Emmanuel's not a manual. If we only try to be real together, that is such a wave right now. That is such a trend. It's all about authenticity. Absolutely. You should be authentic for sure, but how many of you with a show of hands know that you can be really, really real and really, really wrong? (laughs) Right? Absolutely. Also, how many of you know, show of hands, how many of you know you can be really, really real and really, really unhealthy? This is why all of these matter. Our mission, help more people become more like Jesus in authentic community. That's what we're doing with this short series. We're to press into those three things. We have good news that is too good to keep to ourselves. In a culture like ours, that is easy to forget. We can forget that we have got good news that can help people as they struggle with anxiety. We've got good news that can inspire the next generation. We've got good news that God wants to help people make wise decisions. We have good news that that people can get a fresh start. A fresh start. We've got good news with the biggest thing of all, that death does not get the final word. There's a good summary of what the church has been called to do in a, a book I love called When Helping Hurts. It says this, the king of kings is ushering in a kingdom that will bring healing to every last speck of the cosmos. The church is to do what Jesus did bear witness to the reality of that coming kingdom using both words and anticipatory deeds. Here's the reality when it comes to our mission. You know, we, it's always nice to say, oh, look at our mission, whatever. Here's the reality when it comes to mission. I love this quote The church does not have a mission. The mission has a what? Isn't that true? The church does not have a mission, the mission has a church. And as much as you'd love to get an amen to something like that, even more importantly, what I'd love to get from all of us today is a so will I. That's the last blank we've got today. Will you commit to a so will I life? Here's what I mean by that. Had those 120 people kept the good news to themselves, the Jesus movement would have theoretically died with them. I use the word theoretically because God has telegraphed how all this is going to end. This is all going to end with people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation welcomed into the kingdom of God. Amen. 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 Regardless, right? If, if you're going to be in on this or not, it's going to happen because God promised it's going to happen. you got the choice. Are you going to be a part of it or not? Are you going to be a part of it or not? Will you have a so will I life? The good news is too good to remain a secret. Creation itself is crying out. If we keep silent, right? The rocks will cry out. They're crying out all around us. And I want to invite the worship band to come up. And they have got this amazing song. It is a song that reminds us that God was there at the beginning of time. And when he spoke, galaxies were formed. God's creation cries out that God is real and God is good. And every sunrise and every sunset and every charcoal fire testifies to that. And we have a decision to make. Are we going to testify to that too? Let's pray. Father... I pray, we pray that you would speak to us. Open our eyes as we look at these images of your creation and this amazing poetry set to work, music. Open our eyes and our ears that we may come away from this moment fired up to share the good news. In Jesus' name, amen.